This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. It was the best time of our lives. Getting money was all we ever did. Hello and welcome to the Carousel Podcast. Today I have with me a Twitter anon, a Substack anon named Yuri Bezmanov, who is the name of a, um, I actually don't even know if he's Russian, but but of a thinker that we'll talk about in a second. Um, he has a very cool new-ish Substack uh, called How to Subvert Subversion, and he's doing a lot of interesting things that we'll talk about. He also has a background in both finance and tech. And uh, we're kind of at similar ages, uh, phases in our lives. So I think we have a lot to talk about here. Um, let's start off with who is Yuri Bezmanov and why did you name your Substack after, or sorry, your, your Twitter and Substack presence after him? Well, greetings, comrades. Thanks for having me on the show, uh, Mr. Disgraced Propagandist. Yuri Bezmanov was a KGB defector. He came over to Canada, actually, by way of India back in the 60s, I believe, and lived out his days in Canada until uh, he passed away in 1993. And the reason why I chose him as my pseudonym is because he's the perfect red pill. If someone knows who Yuri Bezmanov is, they already are thinking about the things that we are discussing here today. And on top of that, he's just got such charisma. And like the video that made him go viral was one where he gave an hour-long lecture about subversion and the stages of subversion, which are demoralization, uh, crisis, and then normalization, which we are basically on the path of. He was trying to warn everyone in the West that these tactics were being deployed and that we were falling into this decline and decay. So uh, he genuinely loved what the, the West and true liberal values and democracy stood for. And this was all the way back in 1984 that he gave this interview. So that's a long time ago, almost 40 years ago. So And everything he's predicted has more or less come true. We see it every day. And my Substack takes different parts of our crumbling establishment and skewers them and also tries increasingly to develop action plans on how we as dissidents can build something new out of the ashes while things are seemingly falling apart around us. So I remember this clip of Yuri and I, I wasn't it about demoralization. Yep. That was the, the first step of subverting a society. Okay. So walk us through, do you know the steps offhand not to put you on the spot? Yeah, I should. It's, it's demoralization. Yeah. And then crisis, which causes normalization into socialism or a very terrible uh, quality of life. So he was saying that demoralization is, is the long march through the organizations that or the institutions that we have seen play out. But back in the summer of love 60s is more or less when that started. You had all these boomer hippie types going into academia, taking that over going into media, taking that over. Going, now corporations even are marching in lockstep, which is the most dangerous piece because they control the money. And that's the definition of fascism, where you have the corporations and the government run by the same people believing the same current things. Okay. And so where where does... The, but what he says about demoralization is very interesting, right? Which is why that clip went viral. So... Do you remember what he says about that step particularly? It's like some kind of 
thing about like, like that word demoralize, we think of it as meaning to f- be sort of discouraged, right? Yeah. And I think the way he uses the word is to, he's essentially saying that like the best way to defeat your enemy is to destroy everything that your enemy has that they think is worth fighting for. So if they don't even feel like anything's worth rallying behind, then they're very easy to conquer. Yeah. Because yeah, right. Like right. that's, that's what demoralization means. And I've got a long post that goes into detail about all the things he said uh, called how to reason with the demoralized person as my first <laughs> post of, of 23. So yeah, yeah we can go on. Yeah. If, if uh, listeners want to go and spend some time there, like that really goes into all of the, the quotes that have made him go viral over the years. And then uh, it was, I, I texted you this morning that that snippet that we heard from Putin's recent speech, which I, it struck me because it's so much like what Yuri was saying and so much in what Western dissidents are seeing around us. So the quote starts, uh, this is Putin with his speech yesterday. Look at what they do with their own people. The destruction of the family, cultural and national identity, perversion, and the abuse of children are declared the norm. And priests are forced to bless same-sex marriages. Millions of people in the West understand they are being led to a real spiritual catastrophe. Wow. Putin 2023, echoing Bezmenov 1984. Though, of course, you know, Bezmenov escaped the Soviets. It's a very different Russia now. But they identify the same problems with the West. And things are much worse now here than they were in 84. Wow, right. So it's like, all, it's it's destroying the roots, kind of, it seems like. You know, it's all these things that people are rooted in. It's like uprooting all those things and showing how they're all meaningless and denigrating them. And, you know, I immediately, my mind immediately goes to Seth Rogen movies. You know, yep. like Seth Rogen movies, it's all about... Every single thing Seth Rogen does, and you see people like Seth Rogen do this too. It's all about like throwing shit on sacred things. It's all about like, let's take Christmas and put a dick in it. And let's take uh, kids, like let's take a bunch of like children and have them have a say a bunch of swear words. You know, it's just like about smearing shit on the things that people feel are holy, right? And it seems like that's what you're saying. And the moralization is basically that, like, taken to an extreme. Yeah, you're in the thick of it in Hollywood, but a lot of the mainstream humor is exactly as you described. You're throwing feces onto things for shock value. And people who value those things are demoralized, right? They feel, oh, this is our culture now. This is nothing worth saving. It's all destructive and... I think it hurts anyone who values the, uh, you know, the moral foundations of Western civilization. And I think the, the system now is very rigged from the early days when you see the teachers unions and the curriculums that they're pushing in schools, right? They don't learn about anything that makes America looks good. You know, our founding fathers, the constitution, from an early age, they're learning about like what all the trans flags are. They don't know what their state flags are. They don't know what the military flags are. They don't know geography and, and other countries' flags or where those countries are even located. It's all of this perversion. And it's hard to fight against that tide because the kids are impressionable and they go from a young age, increasingly younger, into this terrible, subverted state. And, uh, you know, I wrote about my upbringing, we're kind of the same age. When you grow up in the 90s, you didn't get exposed to any of this stuff. And now this demoralization has gotten earlier and earlier and has accelerated because a lot of parents now are totally down for that. They're happy to go take their kids to Drag King Story Hour. You know, it doesn't matter how much we fight on the legislative side. If parents are this demoralized because they're now like the second or third demoralized generation, the Yuri said in 84, you already had one fully demoralized generation now we're another you know two or three generations after that and you know, i wrote in in one of my pieces i think it was uh it was called how to groom commissars like i went to an ivy league school in the mid 2000s and immediately was exposed to struggle sessions but back then it was mostly limited to these kooky lefty campuses 
no one ever thought that it would be standard practice in like middle school or even earlier as we're seeing today. So a struggle session is a reference to the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which had these red guards, uh, which were basically, you know, like the the SS kind of, or like the enforcement arm of the uh, communist regime that were going around and basically testing the purity of how pure you were for the new People's Party. Is that right? And the struggle session was kind of like an embarrassing. What exactly was the struggle session? It was public humiliation. Yeah. You take these uh, intellectuals, capitalists, traitors to the cause who are not pure enough. And you throw them on stage and you put them in dunce caps. And horrific things happen you know, between that and the Great Leap Forward, which was a self-inflicted famine. You had tens of millions of people die. And I, I do believe that it's one of the most underexplored part of history. And it didn't happen very long. Now, increasingly, you hear in the public sphere, whether it's Jordan Peterson or our friend Vivek Ramaswamy, making those exact parallels that we are in the middle of this Maoist cultural revolution. And it became personal because when I was spending some time with my parents, getting out of the city, uh, being in a, in a more sane place, that was when our conversation started, that the things that they were seeing in the summer of George Floyd and the BLM Antifa riots were the exact same thing they saw growing up with the Red Guards and these struggle sessions. So, yeah, we've, we've come full circle in a strange way where my parents came here to get away from that, and now they're seeing the same thing playing out. Well, now that you've race doxed, we can, <laughs> we can, you know, <laughs> one doxing box. <laughs> now that you've Chinese doxed. Um, well, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, the parallels are so incredibly obvious that anybody who says they're not there is crazy. I just think it's, you're right that we don't, we're not educated on on any of these things, really, in America. We don't ever learn about communism as the boogeyman. Like your family, I don't know what your exact relationship to it is, but knew about that. Like, I don't think my mom even knows what a struggle session is. If I was to say, like, what is the red guard, you know, to my mom, she would have no idea. Whereas if I was to say, who is the SS? which is the Nazis, she would immediately, you know, everybody knows who that is. So just, we don't, we're so susceptible to this because we don't really think about communists as the boogeyman. And the whole mold bug point, the whole Yarvin point is that that's kind of by design, that we basically are a progressive marching to Hulu, right? We basically are a progressive, the United States from its inception has basically been a progressive experiment and so therefore, like our rebels, the rebels were okay with, like the Overton window rebels are all leftists. And, you know, like the last person to ever kill a congressman was a leftist uh, Puerto Rican rebel, right? It's like, and, and those people have jobs at universities, like the Weather Underground, you know, those, those people all have jobs at universities, whereas the right wing version of those people are Nazis and they're in Florence Supermax. So we we have this really weird relationship with leftism where where it's like permissive rebellion versus right wingism, which is unpermissive rebellion, more or less. Right. See, I I didn't even know about this congressman assassination. Yeah. And of course, the the Bernie bro that shot Steve yeah. Scalise at a baseball game and a couple other Republican legislators. That's down the memory hole too. Yeah, so, we right, never like talk about that. Yeah, that, yeah. A, that a left-wing person shot up a Congress. But, you know, we never, that's not in the consciousness at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and Nazism stopped in 1945. Right. But in the 50-plus years since then, communism has claimed much more. Like, their body count is way higher than yeah. the Nazis ever had. So, yeah, again, the perception and the propaganda of what's allowed, what's not, what's horrible, what's not as horrible. It's also jumbled. And of course, the education system makes sure that most kids don't have a clue about what happened in foreign countries in, in other times, and much less the present time. Right, right. 
So as a as a person who is uh so are you mixed race or are you full is that full mongoloid Han Chinese? Mongoloid. Yes. Okay, full mongoloid. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh how do you feel about like the you know white supremacy white supremacists like are you is that something that concerns you at all not at all it's kind of a farce if you're an asian person living in a city and almost on a daily basis you have reports or videos of asian people getting the shit kicked out of them sometimes being killed almost for sport like a lot of these are old people great like my grandma or my parents could be just like them and you people have eyes they look at the video they look at the description of the suspect what is this white supremacy you speak of right like in, in these neighborhoods too you can you can walk around a long time without seeing a white person so it's it's beyond uh ridiculous these movements of, about stop asian hate to try to connect all of this violence to white supremacy and Trump saying China virus. It's uh, one of those ridiculous things that I rouse me up every time I, I see that stuff trending. Yeah. It's like they tried it out. They like walked it out to try and mobilize the Asian population. And we're like, yeah, let's get them going too. <laughs> you know, but it didn't really work because all these videos are, are black people beating the shit up. Asian people on the streets. So it's like you watch one of them and they're like, oh yeah, no, okay, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's absurd gaslighting. And that's yeah. why my my retort to all of this is like Democrats are the ones who are not just beating up Asians in the streets, but they're also I think more pernicious perniciously undermining them in the school boards. Yeah. All of these cities have elite high schools that have traditionally been the true uh kind of mobile cast or like class mo mobility accelerators where you you take all these asian kids from immigrant households in poor neighborhoods and you give them a chance to go to stuyvesant new york or go to bronx science or yeah, go bronx to Lowell, science right that's sf yeah, yeah yeah and the past few years all of these cities and their school boards have passed policies that more or less say well there's too many asians here we have to change the merit-based system and bring equity, bring more diversity into the school. And it's just a disaster for the Asian community. And it boggles my mind that I think the, the data shows that Democrats or Asians vote Democrat two to one. Uh, to me, that's unacceptable. So I've it's got so a crew of top Asians all over the place that you know, we're trying to move this dialogue and try to say, well, you see what the media says, but like what's actually happening in your life day to day? You walk around the street, you, you feel like someone's going to jump you, you send your kids to school and they're not learning anything and they're being barred from advancing themselves in life because they're good. Because like after the elite high schools, you can go to the Ivy League, you can get that high paying job. And like that's been the path for so many people uh, living that dream. Um, and now the left is trying to quash all of that. Yeah, I think the Asian, uh, who was the Asian woman who worked, got hired by the New York Times, who was like super anti-white racist? Do you remember that whole thing? Oh, yeah. I think her name was like Sarah Jong. Yeah, Sarah Jong. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, they were firing everybody for racist reasons, like the littlest infractions, like for nothing, like white people. And then she, she would have been the perfect Maoist. She's got the perfect Maoist. And you look at a picture of her and the physiognomy is one of like very obvious. <laughs> this is how you think. This is how you vote. And you're a miserable human being. Yeah. What's the... It's too predictable. You know, sometimes you just you just go through enough pattern recognition and, and you realize how predictable uh, a majority of people are, at least in, in the urban areas. What is so, the, what's the Maoist physiognomy? Physiognomy. I don't know if it's giving me. Yeah, like for her, the colored hair, everyone knows colored hair is a tell, tell a sign. Yeah. Uh, short hair, glasses, uh, just got that really mean look. Yeah. Uh, I'll say nice things, but I'll, I'll cut you every chance I get. Yeah. Right. I'm, and I'm so mad. I'm so mad at white men. I hate white yeah. men. But she like, definitely oh, has a white boyfriend. Guaranteed, yeah, yeah, no. guaranteed, guaranteed to have a, a white boyfriend. Any Asian who runs around yeah. spouting about Black Lives Matter and how they hate whites 
Yeah. Guaranteed. It's almost like a hundred percent hit rate. Yeah, dude. No, I we had I used to work with a girl who became one of these activists, exact uh same physiognomy as Sarah Zhang. And she was just posting all this anti-white shit all day. And one day I I responded because she was posting about the mayor, you know, because of course she went to work for Sarah, you know, um Sarah Bass, whoever our new fake mayor is. Karen and, Bass. Her uh, name's Karen. Karen, yeah, whatever. Karen Bass. Uh, who, you know, they vote harvested the election for uh, to beat Rick Caruso, who was really should have been the mayor. Um, but anyway, she was all in pro of her. And I like said something and she I, you know, I sent a DM, which I shouldn't have done because I was just so fed up with it. And uh, she we went back and forth and I was like, well, you obviously hate white men. She was like, my boyfriend is a white man. <laughs> like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like every time, you know, every fucking time it's that they're it's because they actually love them, but they are afraid. You know, Zero HP had a great I think it was Zero HP had a great thread today about like, you know, the female standards that they have for themselves, like they they, they feel like they have to, you know, get all this surgery and, and everything like that to in order to appease this like man uh in order to appease men but actually the man that they're thinking they need to appease doesn't exist so they've set up this like man in their head that they're trying to appease and then they're frustrated at themselves that they can never appease the man who doesn't exist and i feel like that's kind of like what unless some of these asian women feel for white men or or you know they're like they have in this white man in their head that they're like resentful of and they can never quite like get through to him so they have like their mug that says white man's tears and stuff you know because they're like having this drama with this fake man in their head the psychology is nuts but the gist of it is they're a rebel in the streets but they are colonized in the sheets rebel in the and sheets. also in in terms of the uh, the the asian community these are all asian girls that no asian dude would touch yeah. So they they run off and they find their usually soyish uh, bug man white boyfriend who's usually like the submissive one. Uh, every time that couple forms, the woman is dominating, and you know it's a little soy guy with a high pitched voice, just just happy to have a girl who's with him. Right, a hot Asian. Yeah, my girlfriend's a hot Asian girl. What do you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's but like truly it, it long you know you talk to enough people and you realize it's not about race at all it's like every race has this divide and people are on the spectrum in the asian case you've got the bobas like what we were just mocking they've assimilated into american woke culture they've gone to these good schools and they've been indoctrinated with all of the slogans they run around and it's just such a pathetic existence and then you've got on the opposite side rooftop asians the famous la riot guys in, in the early 90s and that mentality pervades with a lot of my asian friends at least where like those guys are small business owners they're hustlers they are god-fearing people a lot of them were veterans who served in the military in korea they loved what this country stood for and they came here and they armed themselves they fully embrace the second amendment to protect their, their livelihoods and their loved ones. So that's a, a real story about beautiful assimilation. And the goal is to just get more people into this rooftop mentality, just like with, with your folks, the Caucasians, you've got the soy bug men, but you've also got the chads, people who are, are thinking and, and doing big things. Totally, dude. I love the roof Koreans. Roof Koreans are are one of the greatest memes in American history. And those pictures, I saw you use one of those pictures. Those pictures are so good. You know, yeah, the, those guys are stylish icons. Dude, the outfits are incredible that they're wearing in those. And and the pictures are all like really, they're like shot with film, you know, because that was like the end right. of the film era. So they're like really good pictures. Uh, yeah, we need to do a, for my agency, we need to do like a fake ad campaign just with those pictures, like some brand that, you know, it's so good. Those pics. It deserves a movie because that's an Absolutely. amazing story. Absolutely. And yeah. like one of those guys, I think he had a this combo, like colored shirt, thick or collared shirt, yeah. uh, like a thick black frame, flame, uh, frame glasses. And he had a Marlboro in one hand and like his 
freaking rifle in the other. I don't know how you could stage that anywhere these days. Uh, just might never happen again where you have that type of thing pop up in yeah. the middle of chaos. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, I need to like write this down right now because this is just such a, this like needs to happen. Um, so uh, yeah, totally, totally. Um, okay, so your sub stack um, it seems like you're kind of dedicated to talking about a lot of these issues. One thing I do notice about your subsects that's kind of interesting is how you title things. Mm-hmm. You t- is this like a conscious decision? Like you title everything like how to blank. Uh, the, you know, like why do you title everything like that? How to subvert subversion. That's the name of the whole thing. But each one of your titles are also like how to speak Taiwanese, how to escape uh new york how to counter the cultural revolution yeah i the main inspiration came oh, from oh, how to with, with or you're on mute hey is this working uh, what happened here you somehow stopped coming through can you hear me oh there you go yep sorry i don't know All right. weird well it started be, uh the main inspiration was because I really enjoyed the show How To with John Wilson. It's uh, an HBO show where this guy just walks around New York and stitches together random footage of New York things being eccentric. And then he calls every episode How To. And somehow he makes it work. It's genius. I highly recommend watching it. And, you know, his, his show was not political at all. It was like just super goofy, dry humor. And I thought, okay, well... I'm going to use a pseudonym called Yuri Bezmenov. And why don't I bring this style to my writing? Because all of my posts have a unifying theme and they jump around for sure, but they try to stitch together a lot of different things that we're seeing in the demoralized urban centers. So that's really how it came to be. And my readers seem to love it. I asked them if I should change my pseudonym or how I write my titles and they all said no this is exactly what we want so uh yeah i think how to guides are are fun and practical um in and of themselves okay yeah so and do you think that that helps with traffic i don't know like i i've done a lot of things professionally but the one thing i will never understand is is your world in the dark art of branding (laughs) and marketing so i really I'm a Substack native. I'm a big fan of their values and how the platform's grown. And I really didn't uh, try to promote on other channels. I just tried to grow organically within Substack. And only recently have I branched out and doing do more Twitter um, stuff. But yeah, I didn't have a real marketing or growth strategy. I just went in and I shared it with people like values aligned friends who then I think maybe spread it by word of mouth through their networks. But other than that, uh, it's just been a fun little grind. It started only a year ago and uh, here we are. So are you a, are you like fleeing from the, uh, the corporate like longhouse more or less? Like, are you one of those who's like escaped and um, you're now kind of trying to make it outside of that, economy or are you still a full and on entrenched in the world i am pretty much a full-blown escapee refugee of the matrix yeah i mean i went after going to school i moved to new york and worked for a big financial institution so uh since then i've just moved to smaller and smaller companies and uh now i'm i'm basically a a solo operator because uh, my previous company went extreme and and went for a booster mandate and then me and a couple other people spoke up against it and unfortunately we're shown the door uh because of it but you know we leave with our heads held high and and our dignity intact which is what matters and um yeah on on that front i'm i'm basically a uh content creator slash writer on substack i'm a a stay-at-home dad and trophy husband and spinning (laughs) up a couple projects um and then we are also escaping the matrix physically because we are moving in a month from New York to a, you know, a, a suburb that is outside of the demoralization zone because it's not enough to get out of the city itself. You have to get 
far enough away because we all know the surrounding areas are just as bad, if not worse, in terms of the education systems and the crime. Yeah, dude, I was just up there and I got kind of obsessed with this idea of going and visiting Hudson, New York, because for some reason in L.A., I keep hearing about Hudson, New York. Oh, of course, because that's where all the the hipsters and yeah. the Karens go hang out to get out of the city. Exactly. So, <laughs> and I, but I got ahead of my idea, head, like, what is going on here? And it is true. Like, I took the train from Albany down to the city and you pass through Hudson and like on at the Hudson stop, like a bunch of people get on and they're all wearing weird hats and like have weird outfits and like it's all yeah the pink pussy hats the piercings i went to a wedding there once it's a beautiful town and once you see that the church has a rainbow flag or a blm sign you pretty much know that the town has been contaminated oh yeah like hudson's fairly far outside the city uh, up north and there are probably other cities in between hudson and new york that are a little more normal but yeah. somehow all of the, the Brooklynites decided to colonize Hudson in yeah. a way that they colonize other small towns. And I know your your uh, piece on Montana captured that phenomenon better than anything I've ever seen. Well, yeah, well, the thanks. But um, I mean, it's funny, like it, it, here in Pasadena, every single church has a rainbow flag on it. It's like every, there's almost none left. And uh, that's the it's like I'm not even Christian, but you see that and. Yeah. You cringe. It hits your soul. This is not how this is not what this is God or yeah, like yeah, you'll never yeah. see it on a mosque or a synagogue. Yeah, well, Buddhist you wouldn't. You wouldn't like, see it on reform synagogues, definitely. You know. Okay. Uh, they're they're definitely. Uh, you know, the Jews are. I'm half Jewish, and so the Jews are. Uh, you know, they're they're the worst offenders in this shit. Yeah, really. You know, I mean, in terms of demoralization, it's the the reform Judaism is the original. Uh, church mm. with a rainbow flag on it <laughs> you know it's it's everything it's all of judaism like hollowed out to the absolutely nothing besides just like very broad cultural signaling and without any rules without anything at all you know that's it's just like uh the phoniest thing in the world and now yeah you see every church in pasadena now has rainbow flag rainbow flag which is just like so it, that is demoralization you're the perfect person to talk to about it because that's the very definition of demoralization yikes yeah and it's also go flies against like marketing and and business 101 because um like why are you putting all this energy and attention into getting new customers so to speak who like don't even like you and meanwhile you're just driving away the few remaining customers you have left who actually who cared about your original values you completely yeah, yeah. Uh, God you know, flies in the face of all common sense and just basic decency and, and having principles. Right. It's, it's right. It's like the football is gay campaign for another perfect <laughs> example of demoralization. Just everything that you thought this thing was, it's now the reverse. Ah, uh, the sports ball, the sports yeah, ball. Sports. I mean, our demographics is all about the sports ball. You're you're wearing your sports ball. Hat, yeah, I got my sports ball. Like when when they took sports ball, that's when I jumped ship. I was like, I don't care about these domestic leagues anymore. I'll stick to international sports like tennis or soccer. Well, but tennis didn't they? Wasn't there a whole uh, controversy with like the global tennis versus um, you know, the Serbian guy? Well, yeah, they banned the him last year from uh, the Australian Open and the U.S. Open. Yeah, and uh, I think he'll have the last laugh because it's given him time for his body to rest, and he won the Australian Open in dominant fashion just a couple weeks ago. Oh, cool. uh, when they when they allowed him back. So like Novak is truly the the pinnacle, you know, the greatest tennis player of all time, and the greatest standing up for these important principles of bodily autonomy. Right, uh, and I, it's interesting because he used to be the guy of the big three. Uh, compared to Nadal and Federer, who was by far like less beloved. Yeah. Because like Federer is such a gentleman and Nadal is such a warrior. And they were going at it a long time. And then Djokovic just kept creeping up on him and he started beating them. And he's got a winning record against both of them, but he's never loved in the way that those two were. Yeah. But now I think in this final chapter of his career, he, because of his stand, is going to eclipse both of them. I mean, he's already got the most grand slams out of the three. And I think he'll also win 
the love and respect of, of all the tennis fans. Yeah. Uh, and he, well, because Serbians, nobody likes Serbians. You know, they're sort of like still, they still have that bad reputation on a, on a global scale. People don't, but yeah, I love them. I mean, I yeah, well, that's just, that's just more NATO. Yeah, uh, right. It's another NATO. fuckery out there. They, I've, I've been to Serbia. They really hate America. It's probably the most anti-American place that I've ever stepped foot in. Well, yeah, they got bombed by us, you know? I mean, yeah, because Clinton wanted to distract from his blowjob. Everyone <laughs> forgets about that. <clears throat> that was a distraction thing. Yeah, so what's cool about you, you really do have a good sense. You say you don't understand branding, but actually you have a very good sense for propaganda. And you have a very good sense for um, the signals, you know, the the kind of signals and distraction. And so what did you make of the whole uh, UFO thing that recently happened? Did you, because everybody's saying this is distraction. Do you have an analysis of that in any way? No real analysis. I saw it come and go. Uh, we got a million more things to worry about than the random stuff in the sky being shot down. Yeah. I think there's something going on. Like, it's not, I don't know if it's distracting from the Ohio thing. I don't really know enough about the Ohio thing, but that feels like a little too, uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that is what it is. It's distracting from the Ohio thing. What what I see in this regime is like a bunch of people sitting in like a writer's room on Adderall like thinking that the ideas they're having are really good and clever <laughs> and they're like sitting there being like oh we're like the puppet masters we're amazing but like everything <laughs> they do is actually just like stupid and pointless and like doesn't really actually do anything and like that's what they think their whole job is and it seemed like that was just another one of these things it was like so obviously fake but it just like why 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 did they burn that on that like they thought they had to but did they really? It's just another clown world honk. Yeah, honk honk in the clown world. Um, but it's good. It's good catnip for bros. Like I think, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed your podcast with Peachy Keenan, who I assume is around the same age as us. So she's got a a huge uh, brood of kids. So good for her. But uh, yeah, I think I think at this age, right, mid thirties, both men and women have a pretty big divergence in their life paths and you know did you settle down and start a family and have kids or did you not that's probably the biggest fork in the road and i think these like sports ball and some of these other distractions come out and you see you know peachy talked about the women's side extremely well but i think the men's side is, is just as tough you start to see guys who you're like where you know where are they headed they're just kind of living alone still they're still doing fantasy sports and recycling all of the the dude bro talking points. Like, where's the maturation? Where's the growth? Where's the real actualization? Um, you know what? You know what do you see in your bro packs that are more normies? Good question. I think um, I see like. So I have like two types of friends. I have I have either friends that are, you know, have kids. That whole set of them, though, it's like they're all identical. They all, so I'm 37. They all had kids when they were like 34. And it was all with a girl who was their age. Mm -hmm. And then they all panicked and then had like two kids really, really quickly with that, with that same girl, right? Because yeah. the girl panicked because the girl is being told by the doctor that you're a geriatric at 32 or whatever it is, you know, 35, whatever that year is. So all these girls are just over that age, right, or just around that age. So they're all trying to get it in as quickly as they can, you know. You know, they waited until the very end, or at least they think. Uh, I'm lucky. Biology because... and the wall are undefeated. Yeah, right? you're right. Exactly. It's, it's such a bizarre phenomenon where it's like, stay single, have fun be Carrie Bradshaw and Sex in the City. Yeah. And then like the day, literally like in a day, it flips to your geriatric pregnancy. You right. should lock <laughs> exactly. it down and get this done now. And, and no one it's prepares. Just such a, it's, it's just such yeah. a fucked up thing that, yeah. they, you know, that they get sucked into. And yeah. you know, some people realize it and, and get out of there uh, like, like the chopper out of Saigon. And, and some people 
like the timing just doesn't work in the end. They don't meet the right person at the right time. Well, so, there was that great uh, tweet a little while ago from a gynecologist who was like, or maybe it was a tweet or it was an article who was like, I am so shocked that most of my patients, like for whatever reason, a bunch of her patients were also doctors. She's mm-hmm. like, I have so many female doctor patients who come in here at 38 and they're like, why aren't I getting pregnant? And she was like, you should know that your likelihood absolutely plummets. It's like a very unlikely that you're going to get pregnant for your first time at that age. I think like it's much more likely getting pregnant for a second time at that age for whatever reason. Yeah, you have to get the first yeah. done before 35. Yeah. But it, right. it makes you wonder what the what the fuck are they teaching in medical school and right. residency? That's like, you know, four years of school and then another three to five on top. Yeah. And you come yeah. in and you, you like don't know the most basic thing that everyone's known since our species began yeah right exactly like, just yeah. what 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 happened there and like I, I i use the term suspended animation to describe uh some of the peter pan dude bros that we see running around the city where you know, they still are living the same way that they did when they were 21 22 fresh out of school yeah like let's go to the club let's like go to dinner let's let's chase tail and i think the only movie mainstream that somewhat captured this well was Hall Pass with I I think it was Owen Wilson it wasn't like uh, I didn't do that well at the box office but the premise was that these guys were married and like they had a hall pass to go and uh, like their wives could go hook up with somebody else they could go hook up with somebody else get it out of their system and they meet this dude uh, at the end who's like that old dude bro like he's literally mm. a the actor's at least 50 or 60 yeah. he's got a sweet house he's done well in life and he's like just still partying trying to uh skis on chicks who are half his age yeah. so like is, is that where this is all headed because you, you've got the the spinsters on the women's side and then yeah. you have these uh peter pans living in this suspended animation yeah so i definitely have suspended animation peter pans for sure yeah have, yeah that's like so again the guys are either like they got married four years ago mm-hmm. to a girl that they had been dating for three years, you know, that they met at like 32 or 33, like exactly that right age. Yeah. So there's like that guy. That's the last chance to loom. Right. And mm-hmm. they all now have like two under twos. That's what they yeah. say, which is two kids under two, which is like a crazy thing to do. So I have like a bunch of versions of that. And then the other group of guys is like, well, there's also the divorcees. So oh, I have shit. a shocking number of divorced friends. Let's, like, let's not go there because uh, knock on wood, I don't know any and I don't, it just seems like. Really? Very... You don't know any? Dude, I have what? like literally one, two, three, I have like five and, and it yeah. happened really fast. I know more than five. I have literally like seven divorced friends and like two of them are gay. Now. <laughs> okay. Well, there's many reasons that, that, that happens. Uh, I guess it's a 50-50 proposition, but. Wow, well, no, but yeah, you I guess know, I'm, I'm somewhat of an outlier that I know lots of married guys, but none of them have uh, separated. So that's far. great. Yeah, no, you're yeah. lucky. You're lucky. No, I know. I know a ton, and it it happens uh, really quickly. That's what I've I've done. So okay, so we're actually talking about the second group is divorcees, mm. and those are like they're all about my age, maybe a little bit older, and they all were married for like less than a year, or they were married for like one. Oh. Yeah, and okay. it was the girl got cold feet, and and or ba- essentially got cold feet. Or basically it was the the worst one of them is I won't say the name, but he married this girl who everyone didn't like, like Mm. everybody always had. Oh yeah. Yeah. With her. I'm particularly me. I really didn't like her. And this whole time I was like, I don't, you know, like, I don't really think this is a good idea, man. And, but he loved her. He was like really, really into her. And they got married and she's like total feminist, completely living in fantasy world, like rich Mm. girl just like completely not living on earth like living on instagram not living in in the real world mm-hmm. and like a creator you know <laughs> and um just you know her, all of her happiness in life is outsourced to the likes on instagram you know Jeez. which like as much as i hate to say it, like twitter is the same shit i'm addicted to twitter in the same way so i don't totally put it against her but yeah, but we're not putting like photos of our hot dog legs out there for the world. Exactly, no, we're not. We're not. Not not yet. We'll see how desperate I get. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so, I got nice legs, man. Yeah, 
yeah, so she uh he had struggled with like addiction problems a little bit and they got married and he had like a little bit of like a relapse like right after they got married and she immediately divorced him. Like just right out of the gate. And I have like, there, I have varying versions of this story. Every single one was initiated by the woman in, in every yeah. single one of these cases, one year, like one to two years max. And it was always this same situation where the woman wanted to get married. Like it was, she was late. It was like late in her life, you know, and she obviously had pressure from the family and she just like went with this guy, you know, she mm-hmm. went with this person and then the reality of the commitment of, you know, uh, they lose their power when you say till death to us part, right? They mm-hmm. lose their ability to threaten you and manipulate you by threatening to leave. So eventually they have to come through on that promise. Like you get in a fight that's big enough where the woman, because they're so, they are so told in today's world that they can do no wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them actually believe it. Not all of them, of course. This is massive generalization. My wife mm-hmm. is the total opposite of this. So it's like, I'm I, I'm not saying all women are like this, but a certain type is. They get in a fight that's big enough, and the only way to win is to pull the divorce card. And that's what I think that's what happened in every one of these instances. And the woman just thought to themselves, well, shit, like, you know, I don't, if he's not going to like do what I want, I'm just going to divorce him. And boom, you know, every it, it happens all the time. So, and now those guys, those guys though are better off than the suspended animation guys. Cause the suspended animation guys seem kind of hopeless and like a lost cause. Whereas mm. those guys are like, especially if those guys have had kids, they're, they're fine. Basically. Like if they got a couple kids out of it, the divorce guys are like, you know, that's not so bad because they've done the kid thing and now they're free and, you know, they can do what they want. <clears throat> Whereas this, interesting. Yeah. yeah. At least they've, they've like experienced all of the highs and lows and they, they see life in a much more balanced way. Yeah. Those guys like, seem like yeah. a little more chill, you know, to yeah. that. Whereas uh, the screwed ones are the ones who didn't have kids uh, and didn't become gay or are still <laughs> The suspended animation dudes are the really disturbing ones. And those are the yeah. ones that are like, they're out every night in some way. Every weekend they're skiing. Every weekend they're at the concert concerts, dude. Nothing is more fucking suspended animation than fucking concerts. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't stand concerts. But I could, I know exactly the type you're talking about. They're constantly like on a flight going to the ski slopes going to see a a show some dj who's like just hitting buttons on a computer (laughs) like like this is like fulfilling to you and like i think deep down a lot of these guys recognize that it's just a, a hollow game but it's conditioning like this is the measure of your success if you don't have a family it's like can i get vip into this place and you know can i go and and have a better time than everybody else yeah and then you go and hang out with them and you're like what am i why am i doing this this sucks yeah you know i mean like and and at least most of the ones that i don't know don't and then they get laid but they get laid like on the apps they don't ever it's not like we go out and like meet chicks you know Mm -hmm. which is like how it used to be now it's like we go out and we don't talk to anybody I mean, that's also very L.A. I don't know. Maybe in New York instead. Yeah. I mean, I don't even go out. <laughs> I prefer just sitting at home, like having a few people over shooting the shit. Like, yeah. why, even, why even bother leaving? Um, so you don't morning. go out with your suspended animation friends anymore. You just you don't like go for drinks with your single friends anymore. Every once in a while. I mean, it's yeah. nice to have a shot in the arm, but I, I don't do it regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So, uh, earlier we talked here's just like switching topics. So we have like a, like a um, actual topic to discuss earlier. Yeah. You talked and we both talked about this guy, Vivek Ramaswamy, mm-hmm. who today just announced his candidacy for presidency in the wall street journal. And, um, he like we had been talking about him before because uh 
he like is one of these guys who like he's like a defector from the tech class basically which is something that you and i both are kind of like doing ourselves like he's probably the most successful like class defector that we have yeah he's done a good job branding that way yeah and he like a class traitor yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't realize he was so young he's 37 he's he's really young so what do you think about a vivek are you going to vote for him he wrote woke inc yeah it's a good book and uh, yeah, I have I, it like so over there. I, I tried, I tried, I got like halfway through it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what he's doing and what he stands for. Uh, I mean, it's too early, I think, to decide who I would vote for in a primary, but I think the race is better for him being in it. And yeah, he, he's kind of like the parallel to uh, Andrew Yang in 2020, like just some Asian guy who's ivy league and has some interesting ideas that he just repeats 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 like gets it into people's heads and it's for vivek so far it seems to be working Uh, obviously he's a long shot but as long as he gets it out there like on every single platform going on tucker going on the debate stage and just hammering away at esg hammering away at dei and mocking the ruling class that he and i and you have been immersed in that's a win and i think more people need to hear like what these caricatures are like because you sometimes see these caricatures just being written about like the the stereotypical ivy league person what do they do what do they care about well like they're real human beings for me like i went to college with them i've lived with them i've worked with them and sometimes it's hard to believe that like people can be that predictable and that much of a caricature but they're all out there. I could, I, I wrote a post behind a paywall because it's a bit more revealing, like the types of people that I've come across in life. Uh, you just wouldn't believe how stereotypical they fit into the NPC buckets. Yeah. And there's, you know, they're out there, but the problem for us is like, they're out there rising in seniority at all these influential institutions and accumulating power Yeah. and nothing can shake them of their religious doctrine and beliefs. Yeah. Did you uh, see so, that? That, long way of saying that long way of saying that I, I like Vivek. Uh, I like his message and shining a light on to all this stuff. And I, you know, I hope that there are more people who just, it just starts to crack the facade and, and at least for the people in the matrix makes them think about themselves a little more differently. <laughs> yeah. Self-awareness wouldn't hurt. Totally. No, I experienced the same thing. Did you see my piece my or my thread that went like super viral about, um, about the manageoisie, about the manageoisie, I like that. Yeah, word. the manageoisie, uh, about what's his name at UL Roth. At oh, yeah. Oh. So I think that was maybe just before we start. You started following me, so I had this piece in there all about encountering this type of person in the workplace, which is this UL Roth type. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you all Roth, these, they all have this same kind of look. They're all gay. They're all not, not all of them are necessarily gay. Many of them are gay, but they will all have some protected class they can cling to, whether it's being Jewish or Asian, mm-hmm. they'll be able to hide behind something, right? Most of them are actually gay and that other thing. And <laughs> intersectionality, and then, baby. Dude, and I've met so many of this person and they rise up through the ranks. Like, yeah like butter because they're really really great at kissing ass upwardly and they're like brutally cruel downwardly right so they're like they're like bizarrely bitchy and cruel to the people under them and they're like the most sunshine like bright-eyed bushy-tailed people to above this is the court eunuch category the court eunuch that's another thing another term that i'm trying to make yeah like more commonly used because that's exactly how they are it's like oh it's the emperor let me fawn. Let me uh, give them all sorts of brown nosing. And then the second the emperor goes away and they've been given power and minions, yeah. they rule with a, an yeah. iron fist. <laughs> yeah. And they will just backstab and yeah. connive and mess with you until like just torture you if yeah. you're on the wrong side of them. Right. And they're totally cynical. They're they're completely cynical. Like everything they do is is just an act. They're acting mm-hmm. all the time. And they admit it. Like, they'll go out and they'll be like, oh, you know, I just know how to, like, get ahead. Like, you know what I mean? And and they're so, 
they gain a mystique inside companies, these people. This is what I've learned about them. They gain this mystique because they're so inappropriate. Like they, like all of our notions of like the way you're supposed to, like we're, we think, oh, you know, you're supposed to believe, behave in a business-like manner. And like, they'll come and they write these emails in this, this like child girl, like 15 year old girl emails, <laughs> you know, like, and that seems. Yeah, some people like haven't left the, the theater club in high school. Yeah, it, sure. dude, the theater occupied government, theater kid occupied government is my favorite meme ever. It is the most hilarious and fucking true thing I've ever seen. And these guys are like jazz hands people and, and they spend their mm-hmm. lives acting in the workplace. And yeah. You know, they're but it's effective. That's the scary part. It's effective because you're it's asymmetric. The studies have shown that four percent of the population are sociopaths, and then another thirty six or sixty percent are agreeable people who are just you know don't want to start trouble and will go along with whatever sociopaths doing. So we got a live experiment the past three years with COVID, seeing how people respond because the remaining thirty six percent are people like us who are disagreeable, who are skeptical and will always stand up for principles. And like, we're the ones who have to find the sociopaths essentially and try to blow up their spot because otherwise they just sit there and get away with everything that they're doing. They'll hurt people. They'll never apologize because we just can't comprehend that train of thought. Like it's our job to uh, kind of protect ourselves, protect our loved ones from it. But like, they are concentrated in these corporations and they, they rise up, they get to the top and you know, they're, they're uh, stepping on everyone on the, on their way up. Well, and we also have this situation and this is what I, I say this on every single episode. So I'm going to say it again. The there's like a few things in our current regime. There's a few aspects of our current regime that are completely new and, and overcoming this regime is going to have to be different than every other overcoming before because of these new things. One of those things, for example, is uh, overabundance. Mm -hmm. Almost every other time ever in history that there's been an oppressive regime, even very recent, even in communist times, you're in a scarcity world. We are now in the new world, like the new millennias that are coming ahead of us. It's all going to be overabundance, which is very Mm. new for human beings. They don't know how to really deal with that. And it's up to us to find ways to understand that, really. Um, That's that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's one. But another one is women. (laughs) And (laughs) we have never, and again, this is nothing against women. But the fact is, we have never had a power structure that is this female, ever. Mm-hmm. We simply have never had it in any circumstance. No culture besides maybe these longhouse cultures that we're always making fun of now, you know, which were like genuine gynocracies, like uh, or like what you have in some African tribes now, where it's like the men are just fuck off and the whole community is women because that's mm-hmm. the who are even like sticking around. Uh we have a genuine gynocracy, whereas where the percentage of women in power, and now it's just skyrocketing. Like I walked by a bunch of people taking the bar the other day. Uh, it was like two two out of three people were women there for sure. Yeah. Well, look and at the pipeline, right? Yeah, the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. It's three to two ratio, women to men on college campuses. And then women are out earning men until age 30, which makes sense because a lot will leave the workforce to have kids and take a step back. But I think that number will continue to go up. And then the biggest imbalance is going to be, well, women are hardwired to try to marry up. And there's not going to be enough dudes who are, are above them in, in their station because right. that pipe, like they were, they were not even led into the pipeline. Like you don't want, they're not in college. They're not in these entry-level jobs. And yeah, how, how does this end? Shit, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing to contemplate because- yeah. You know, abundance is still around for now, but I think any time in history when that abundance goes away and and people don't have groceries on the shelves, can't afford anything, like that's where the real trouble begins. And I hope it doesn't come to that, but like the the gynocracy seems to be hell bent on pushing every policy that's going to get us over, get us towards the brink. Yeah. Well, I mean, the just the thing is that uh, the 
as we were talking about this gay managed wazi person, even if they're not actually gay, that person does very well in a female situation, you know, it, it, because they're able to kind of play this character that goes, whereas if it's all a bunch of dudes in that circumstance, that guy doesn't rise at all because we're yeah. just like, uh, no thanks, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, which is like, you know, and there is something to the other side of that world. It's like, well, okay, buddy, you know, you got to be in control for so long. You can't necessarily blame uh, this type of person who gets to be this sassy, effeminate guy and get ahead. But as you're saying, it really is a, a new version of the palace eunuch. So it's like, it's not like it's totally uh, unprecedented. unprecedented right. So I think the competition that's emerging, uh, which I think Vivek sometimes alludes to, is like you have these establishment institutions and they are being overrun and slowly taken over by this manageois type. And then, you know, where are all the people who believe in meritocracy going to go? Because they're not the ones who are going to make it up. Like maybe they don't have an intersectionality or diversity card, or, you know, maybe they just don't want to be in those environments because they're maddening. Like we've worked in these environments. You, they're not healthy for a sane person to try to, to navigate their way through the corporate ladder with a bunch of sociopaths who have completely different priorities and values in life. So yeah. what, what might emerge is, potentially the biggest business opportunity in world history where you have the world's largest GDP and you split it down the middle and the establishment is serving one side and this completely green field on the other side where like, you know, all the banks are left. Well, someone start a bank or an asset manager who's focused or, you know, who has a better set of principles and values. Well, Vivek did that with Strive. And yeah. like, it's interesting that he hopped away from that so soon because like that is a, a multi-trillion dollar market right there of like people who don't want their retirement savings to go into ESG sneakily because BlackRock will do that without their permission. Yeah. And you know, Strive is, I think it's a terrific business model, but uh, you know, they could have ridden that for a while. So yeah, we'll never know exactly why he decided to leave that behind when it, there's so much ahead for Strive, but uh, I guess he figures he can, get a bigger platform uh, with a presidential run and it's just free marketing exposure for strive. Right. Like, well, that's savvy. what I'm trying to do with Will, which with yeah. my marketing agency, I'm basically trying to be the marketing agency version of strive, which is the um, other version. I, what I will say though. Yeah, and we're trying to do the same in the tech world. Like you're yeah. in that, our yeah. signal group now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're just trying to figure out who's based in the tech world. And then yeah. we're trying to bring them together. Because the hard part with us is that everyone is hidden. We are not flaunting any of this stuff. And so it's very hard to feel people out and know if it's someone that speaks our language, more or less. Well, and we also just don't own the widgets. That's the thing. The, the, yeah. the legacy people own the sales of the widgets so much better than we do. So there's just so much less money. You know, in a, in a, because every legacy company has been basically not every, but a large majority of them have been taken over by whatever you want to call these people, you know, yeah. old communists or you know whatever. Uh, and so they just have, you know, they have they have the ability to hire, a, for example, like in my world, a young, ambitious copywriter who needs mm. two years of experience to yep. kind of cut their teeth and get good and. You know, oh, they can afford two years of business development before they get their first client. You know, they can do all that shit. Whereas yep. we can't. We don't have the money. There's not enough guys. There's like three guys that are all the money in our whole scene. You know, so we have like uh, it's just much harder because what we really need is more people to defect uh, that have large already existing networks of capital, basically, that can feed into us, you know, which I think is happening and will happen because ultimately, you know, like Bezos, for example, he knows what's up. Like he has to be hedging, like yeah. he has to be hedging some of his stuff to be like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be investing in race communists who are going to like kill me, you know, um, <laughs> should be smart enough to figure that out. But like, that's a cycle of, that's right. a cycle of life in tech is like the incumbents get lazy and fat with their success. And then like scrappier people will get together and take them on, take them down. 
this has happened throughout. And as long as there's not an unfair tipping of the scales, such as ESG or these other things, then that cycle of life should naturally happen. Um, and you know, you don't want to fight mother nature. If you try to force the unnatural, then you know, you, you'll have unexpected cataclysms and other side effects. So yeah. let's just hope that we can, we can keep this momentum and, and channel that energy all together. Totally. All right. I know you got to go. So tell us, uh, I mean, we didn't talk quite enough about your actual Substack, but um, tell us what your plans for your Substack are, where we can find it. And like, are you going to keep doing the podcast? Like what's your kind of brand architecture and where, where can we find you? Yeah, well, uh, head over to uh, how to subvert subversion. And uh, I don't have a whole lot of like specific plans other than to keep that line moving up and to the right. So you know, I typically do two posts a week, one on Monday, one on Thursday. Uh, it's going to move more towards a 50-50 split of free versus paid articles. And you know, all the podcasts will be behind a paywall. Uh, I've done some like travel guides and stuff like that. So that's still uh, being formed. But I think whenever there's inspiration, uh, I will have something new up there. So uh, yeah, appreciate all the exposure here. It's, it's always fun to chat with someone who's going through similar things in life. And uh, we look forward to seeing your audience grow as well. Oh, dude, totally. No, you've got a great sub stack. You, and you've got a great beat. And again, I think like your the way that you're approaching this is unique. And I think it's going to definitely, um, I mean, already you have amazing numbers on Substack, So you definitely like know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, keep, keep, keep well, on. Thanks. Yeah. I, I just felt that no other person out there was, was capturing this perspective. And uh, like, if you believe it or not, I like outside of work writing, i never really did any writing. Which is weird because you actually are a very good writer. (laughs) And I didn't didn't even take, I didn't take any like English or writing classes in college either. So this is uh, truly just like uh, a a side project that's become something much more. And uh, I'm glad that people in the world are enjoying it. And you've got a voice. It's not just with, with people like us. Like a lot of people write to me and they're from other countries or, you know, from the rural South. So uh, I just love the the broad array of perspectives that uh, that that are reading this. Totally, man. Yeah. Cool, dude. Well, yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. Uh, talk to you soon. All right. Take care, man.